Hi, I'm Morgan Block, and you're listening to Climate Curiosities, the podcast where I connect you with real climate science and policy experts to address some of the most common curiosities about climate change. Today is our first episode, which means we need to get one very important thing straight. What is climate change? And why is it a problem? Thankfully, we have climate scientist Dr. Corey Gabriel here today to explain to us the basics of climate science. Corey has a PhD in atmospheric science and is currently the executive director of the Climate Science and Policy Master's Program at Scripps Institution of Oceanography, UC San Diego. So thank you for being here virtually today with me, Corey. Thanks for having me, Morgan. So before we start all the science talk, I want to start out the show by letting our audience get to know us a little bit better personally. And so what we're going to do is just share two fun curiosities about ourselves. So I'll start off. I have been scuba diving since I was just 13 years old. And it's probably the main reason why I'm so in love with our planet and the ocean and really why I came to the master's program. And my second curiosity is that I love to travel. And so far, I've been to 19 U.S. states and 17 countries. The coronavirus has put a little bit of a halt to that, but (laughs) hopefully I can continue soon. And Corey? I guess we all feel cooped up, so related to travel. I actually counted earlier. I've been to the beach, like the ocean beach, 14 different United States. The states not included are Massachusetts, Delaware, Alabama, Mississippi, and Texas, and New Hampshire. I guess the other side of travel, I was coming back from Mexico, and everybody found their passports where it all put them in the glove box, but me. My passport wasn't in the glove box, but I was the one who orchestrated everybody putting them in there. Mine was nowhere to be found. So we're about 45 seconds away from the Border Patrol guy, and I'm all mentally prepared to try to enter the country without a passport. And I'm like, oh, there's a chance it got stuck between the glove box and the car. So we stuck a thin object down between and fished my passport out. And thank God, because we got the meanest, scariest Border Patrol officer ever. And I don't think I'd be doing this podcast with you had we not found that passport. So travel has two sides. So I guess our confinement isn't all that bad. Stuff like that happens too. Wow. That's crazy. (laughs) That's a really crazy story. Glad you're able to be here and be the director of the master's program. (laughs) So I guess we can go ahead and head into the science since you're here and you found your passport. (laughs) Can you please just start us out with defining what climate change actually means? Sure. Earth's climate is always changing, right? Obviously, you look outside and you can tell what time of day it is. And you go outside if you live somewhere like that has seasons. You're not in San Diego and you can kind of tell what time of year it is, right? So we have all of those things that are completely normal. And we have nights, we have days, we have seasons, right? Sometimes you go outside, it's windy. Sometimes it rains. And those are characteristics of living on Earth, right? Those are properties of 
the planet, right? And, and the, what the climate actually is, is just a long-term average of all of those things in a given location. So I'm in San Diego right now, and if I could go outside, it would be really warm and sunny. And that's because San Diego is in, in a place where it tends to be warm and sunny, but not too hot because we're near ocean. So that's the general climate for a specific location. And when people refer to climate change, what they're referring to is that long-term average over a specific place. If you're in San Diego, it's generally pretty warm and sunny, but it's, it is cloudy sometimes and it rains sometimes. If you're in New York, it's very warm and hot during the summer and very cold and snowy or rainy during the winter. And that's, that's the typical climate of a place. What climate change refers to is the contribution that the addition of CO2 and all of the consequent feedbacks, etc., has on making the planet a little bit warmer and causing Earth's climate to change, which then has other impacts. So climate, weather, sort of weather is what you get. Climate is what you expect. And the change is due to an increase in CO2. So when you refer to climate, you're referring to what you're experiencing on average over time. And you refer to climate change, you're referring to how that's changing over time. So the weather is still going to be essentially, San Diego is going to be a subtropical desert. New York is going to be cold in the winter and warm in the summer that's not going to change. It's just going to be that maybe the overall trend might be for warmer summers and warmer summers and warmer winters and potential changes in the weather patterns. Okay. So we hear the words global warming and climate change kind of used interchangeably a lot. Are those the same thing or are they different? Could you explain that to us? Sure. Global warming is... If you just think about what the planet would be like without any interference from humans, what the temperature would be, right? And then what happens is we want to have a society, so we begin burning fossil fuels, and that traps heat in the atmosphere, and it's caused temperatures to warm on the order of one degree in the last 100 years or so, right? So global warming just indicates the amount of average global mean temperature warming we've had in the world. So if you just had a thermometer that could magically measure everywhere in the world in like the year 1900, and then in the year 2020, that thermometer in degrees Celsius would be about a degree warmer in 2020 than it would be in 1900. So global warming is the increase in temperature. Climate change is everything that occurs as a result of that warming is climate change. So climate change is a much broader term. Thank you for explaining that. And you said that as we burn fossil fuels, the emissions cause the globe to heat up. How does that work? So carbon dioxide, that's going to be a, a big chunk of emissions. Carbon dioxide is a a gas that's emitted when you burn something like coal, when you extract petrochemicals from the earth and then combust them in an engine, byproduct of that chemical reaction is carbon dioxide. One of the properties of this gas is that it causes heat to be trapped in the earth's system. So it sort of acts like a blanket. If you get under a blanket, it's not the blanket makes you warmer, it's you making you warmer. That if you're covered in a blanket, it's your own heat that's making you warmer because 
your heat is trapped by the blanket rather than reflected back out. So CO2 has the property in the atmosphere like a blanket would where it keeps heat trapped in the system. So because of that blanket of CO2, planet is allowed to trap more heat energy and that causes global warming and climate change. Can you explain what the difference between pollution and carbon dioxide and all these different gases that we hear about? Sure. A lot of different things are emitted in in industrial processes and in transportation. So when you have any sort of industrial process, you emit all sorts of things. And those all have different effects depending on what you're doing. Let's say you have a chemical plant of some kind. You may be emitting something really, really toxic and dangerous and you're very heavily regulated. What people sort of see and what impacts you more immediately are things like particulate matter and other chemicals that impact air quality at the surface that don't necessarily result in warming, but result in negative public health effects, like increased incidence of asthma and things like that. And so kind of moving into how we know climate change is human caused, you keep talking about fossil fuels and all these different activities that humans do that releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. But would climate be changing regardless of humans being here? How do we know it's our fault? Well, the kind of change that we've seen, we've seen about a 40 to 50% increase in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere over 100 years. So percentage-wise, that's only a little bit less than what we would see between the, the coldest time in an ice age and the warmest time between ice ages if we're talking in the last 500,000 years. So we already increased by about the same percentage over 100 years as you look between the two phases of, of an ice age. So to do that over 100 years rather than over many, many thousands of years is significant, to use an understated word. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And so can you explain a little bit on how humans are experiencing climate change already and how we're going to possibly experience climate change in the future? Sure. Like uh, today, a lot of the impacts of climate change will involve individual uh, storm events producing more rainfall, extended heat waves in, in certain parts of the world. The analogy that I like to use now is if you're a sports fan, it's like the players are taking steroids again. The weather's just cranked up and everybody's hitting an extra 10 or 15 home runs a year. World, the Arctic, where it's warming a lot quicker than it is in other places. So we're already seeing a lot of ecosystem impacts there. And of course, areas in the world where ecosystems are very sensitive, best example in the world would be warm water coral ecosystems already tremendously impacted to where people who were scuba diving before either of us were born will say there's certain parts of the world that it's not really worth going scuba diving any, in, anymore. Climate change has been something that people who are looking for probably have been able to notice somehow for 30 or 40 years. Right now, it's becoming to the point where it's impacting in a little bit in some small way everybody's life. In 40, 50 years, it's going to impact our lives in many ways. Some direct, a lot indirect. Like if it's warmer and there's less resources available, countries aren't going to get along with each other as well. And a lot of those things are going to have really severe indirect impacts, as well as direct impacts from things like sea level rise and worse heat waves and other things like that. 
Okay. Yeah. We hear about sea level rise a lot here in San Diego and in other countries such as low-lying island nations. Do scientists have a consensus on how much sea level rise is going to happen? Well, the community of climate change scientists produces a report every, I don't know how we, every, I guess, 2007, 2013, I guess the next report will be 2021 or 2022 or so. And in those reports, the best available science is at this time, you know, there are a number of different policy scenarios in terms of how much we emit and each, how much we emit will determine the temperature and to a large extent, how much the temperature increases will determine how much sea level rises. So there's a lot of uncertainty associated with how much we will emit, how much the climate will warm. And then even if we knew exactly how much we emit and how much the climate will warm, like how much would sea level rise? We don't know, but likely enough for it to be very disruptive for a lot of people by the end of this century. Okay. Thank you for explaining that because it sometimes is confusing for people to hear a lot of numbers that are thrown around. But the IPCC report that you referenced, I will be sure to link that in the description so people can check it out on their own if they want. And so throughout media, social media and news and politics, we hear a lot of drastic climate predictions. And the term climate crisis has been circulating. So do you think that these effects from climate change are reversible? Are some of them reversible? And can we do anything about it? We can decrease the rate of emissions over time if we invest in alternative energy and make policies that require energy efficiency. So if we were to really incentivize people to do things like buy electric cars and incentivize solar production, incentivize bringing things like the ability to store energy from wind and solar on batteries and then use that instead of burning coal, which we've already been doing, if we can do things like that, that's the core, that's mitigation. That's very expensive, but it's very important, right? Try to use as many of those sources that can be put on a clean electric grid as possible. So that's one thing we can do. Um, That's mostly what we need to do. There are other options that are being theorized about right now about intervening in Earth's climate system at some point many years down the road by trying to artificially cool the planet. But that's something we really would like to try to avoid if we could. So the the thrust of the policy has to be focused on on mitigation, which is emitting less. Okay. And so if we do it, start emitting less and have really ambitious climate policy, there is a bright side to the end of this. We possibly could reverse some of the effects of climate change. We could avoid some of those worst case scenarios that we hear about. If we take proper coordinated policy action now, we can certainly avoid some of the worst case scenarios. We're going to, no matter what we do at this point, experience some of the worst impacts of climate change. But if we emit less, and it's going to be hard and it's going to be expensive, if we emit less, we can avoid some of the worst consequences. But we cannot go back, most likely cannot go back, back in time. We're going to have to adapt to some extent to a warmer climate. Okay. Thank you so much for helping us better understand this complex science. There are so many moving parts and it's really easy to mix up and 
misunderstand the information. So it's been really helpful for you to explain it. To end the podcast, I'd just like for us to model an example conversation, a question, an easy, quick response for our listeners to have some of the tools to use themselves when they're out discussing climate change with their family and friends. So if I was to be asked a question, we hear about a tipping point. So if I was told, oh, we're already past the tipping point, we can't do anything about it. How would you respond to that? And what does that mean? I would probably say, I don't know what, you know, people talk about tipping points, but I don't really know what the tipping point, what tip the tipping points really are. And I guess, and in, 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 as that question is, is posed, it's like, have we already gone past some point where it's like, you know what, we already hit the iceberg. We might as well, you know, crack the bubbly and just party as we sink. No, we haven't crossed that point yet. We haven't crashed into the iceberg. So, and it's not, it's not like that. It's a slow burn. It happens over, slowly over time. There's not much value in thinking about it like that. Although, with, I'll, I'll strongly caveat it. There's really important and sensitive things on this planet, like ice sheets and stuff that we're really messing with right now. And in terms of avoiding some of the worst consequences, if we mess with those those things um, we might accelerate things but no we haven't there's no magic uh magic threshold like if we stay below this we're good if we're above this we're good so no, i don't think of it like that okay great Corey. thank you so much for coming on the climate curiosities podcast show we really have learned so much from you thank you morgan appreciate it If you would like more information about the topics covered in this episode, please see the description for references. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember, follow and subscribe to Climate Curiosities. See you next time.